Hello, and welcome to Beyond Prospecting, the Apper podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with prospect development and fundraising experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you very much to APRA for hosting this podcast, and a special welcome to you listening in today. We're really glad you're here. My name is Helen Brown, and I'm president of the Helen Brown Group and a former APRA board member. I'm really interested in UK data protection, especially as it relates to prospect research, and the APRA's advocacy committee asked me to invite experts on the ground to talk about what's happening. So with me today are Nicola Williams, research director at The Factory, a prospect research consulting company which is based in Bristol, England, and Laura Owen, a prospect researcher at Christian Aid in London. Laura is also policy officer for researchers and fundraising, which is APRA's sister professional organization in the UK, and she's currently a member of the APRA Ethics Committee. So Nicola, by now it's likely that most people working in fundraising in North America have heard that there's something going on in the UK that's changed the landscape around data protection, prospect research, charities. But for people who are just catching up on this, can you bring us up to speed on the past several months from a 40,000 foot perspective? Yep, no problem. Well, obviously quite a lot has happened in the last couple of years. So. I think it will have to be a very swift overview, glossing over some of the finer details, but uh, perhaps it's useful to talk briefly about the background to the situation and how we got where we are today, and then look at the effects on prospect research um, specifically. So um, the general background is that um, this whole situation sort of started in 2015, in early 2015, with a, a sort of series of negative media stories around certain fundraising practices in the UK, such as um, stories of vulnerable people being bombarded with fundraising communications from multiple charities and, and things like that. And these media stories caused a huge negative public reaction towards nonprofits and fundraising, um, and that ultimately led to a complete review of fundraising practices and regulation in the UK, um, the results of which were compiled in the Edderington Review, which was released in September 2015, which is available online. Um, the review recommended a number of things, um, including the establishment of a new fundraising regulator to oversee fundraising, um, and that's now happened. But also, perhaps most importantly for prospect research, the review also recommended strengthening relationships between fundraising um, and the UK's data protection regulation regulator, um, the Information Commissioner's Office, or ICO. Um, then what happened was the ICO started conducting some investigations on the back of the media stories and the related complaints into charity fundraising behavior. Um, it's safe to say they were not very happy with what they found in terms of how charities are using data um, because uh, since late 2016 they have fined 13 charities um, a total of £180,000 for various contraventions of the Data Protection Act. Um, these contraventions have mainly centered on three areas. One is the sharing of donor details between charities without donor permission. Another is appending contact information to donor records, so where information hadn't been supplied by the donor, such as email addresses or telephone numbers, charities going and finding that information without the donor's consent, um, they were fined for that. And also fined for uh, wealth screening, which we'll, we'll get into in a bit more detail in a minute. Um, the fines uh, have been accompanied by what could be politely deemed an awareness raising mission by um, the ICO and the fundraising regulator over the past year or so. Um, at times it's been a little bit heavy handed, um, but they have tried to educate charities on how to comply with data protection regulation. Um, the awareness raising hasn't gone entirely smoothly, but um, 
nonprofits are now on a kind of really steep learning curve. Most are working through exactly how to adhere to data protection regulation, um, but the whole situation is sort of further confused and compounded by the fact that we now have a new, um, we have new data protection regulations coming into force um, next year in May 2018. Um, these are the General Data Protection Regulations, um, or GDPR which are EU-wide rather than just um, for the UK alone. They'll be more stringent in terms of what we can and cannot do with data, and they will be enforced in the UK despite, despite Brexit. Um, so that's the current situation, which is a complete overhaul, basically, of how charities use data in all aspects of their work. Um, in terms of what this means for prospect research specifically, um, it means that the sector is going through some pretty heavy-duty inspections to make sure it's compliant with data protection. Um, a lot of prospect research functions in the UK have been put on hold, um, either entirely or to a certain extent, whilst this is done. Um, there's a lot of areas that nonprofits need to consider um, if they want to carry on undertaking compliance prospect research. Um, and they need to start getting their ducks in a row around all this sort of stuff. So one area is to, to evaluate how open and honest they're being with their donors about prospect research. Um, because one of the problems is that nonprofits have traditionally not been honest and open with donors um, about how they make use of personal data in prospect research. Uh, this is principally because they didn't realize they had to be open and honest until it was pointed out to them by the ICO last year. Um, now, researchers obviously understand that um, a lack of transparency is a problem because if donors don't know what you're doing with their data, they can't object to it and they have no control over it. Um, so one, thing is non the, one of the things that nonprofits have to do is start being open and honest about why they use data, specifically in research. So that includes explaining what well screening is, what research might be, what due diligence procedures are, and, and how they're used and why they're used. So nonprofits are busy drawing up Sort of privacy policies that outline to donors how they use research in fundraising. Um, another area they need to look at is how is analysing how fair and lawful the research is. Um, part of being fair is being open and honest, but just because you tell someone what you're doing with their data doesn't necessarily make what you are doing fair, according to the regulator. So an example of that might be that your charity acquires some new donors from a community event, um, so is it fair for you to use data from the public domain to analyse how wealthy they are, um, in order to find out if they could be prospects for your major donor program. But we, as prospect researchers, probably think that, yes, of course, this is fair, because we need to use the data to help our nonprofits raise money, and the data is in the public domain and perfectly accessible. Um, but the regulator would argue that just because the data is in the public domain does not make it fair game, and the ends do not justify the means. So the fact that you need it for fundraising doesn't necessarily just make it a fair use of data automatically. So this judgment on fairness comes down to something called reasonable expectations. There's a lot of debate going on around don what donors and supporters would reasonably expect to happen with their data, and, and charities are, are making a judgment call around that at the moment. Um, obviously, fairness is relatively woolly as a concept, but um, the regulations do provide a framework for assessing it, so, so that's another thing charities are working through. Um, and the last thing, really, that they need to look at is how much control they're giving people over how their data is used. Um, so this is either in the form of kind of direct consent, where you would need to obtain explicit consent from donors to carry out each and every aspect of research. Um, this is mainly if you conclude that processing of data is highly intrusive or way beyond the reasonable expectations of donors. Um, or what you can also do is a kind of opt-out system where you explain what's happening with data and give people the opportunity to say, well, actually, I don't want you to do that with my data. Um, and this is called relying on legitimate interests. 
So the process of deciding whether to choose consent or legitimate interest is quite intensive because you're sort of balancing your need to undertake prospect research with the expectations and the rights of the donors in terms of their data. So all these areas, kind of transparency, fairness, consent, legitimate interest, all this, all the rest of it, are the kind of questions that prospect researchers are asking about their use of data at the moment, and that means that prospect research is, is largely in limbo as nonprofits work through these questions. It's not an easy process, it takes a lot of time, it's a huge learning curve, um, it needs input and leadership from higher-ups, um, they need to get involved in, in writing these policies, um, and there's very little sort of prospect research-specific guidance to, to help nonprofits do this, so they're sort of finding their way in the dark. Um, but we will get there, at least we kind of know now more or less what we need to do, and we just have to sort of get on with it um, and come out the other side at some point. So that's, that's a sort of very quick overview. Does that all make sense? <laughs> wow. Um, that's a lot. There's a lot going yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks for that. Um, so, Laura, um, from a practical practitioner researcher point of view, what does this mean for you and other prospect researchers who are doing this day to day in the charity sector? Um, lots of confusion is the short answer. Um, <laughs> I think partly we've got to interpret and implement um, GDPR, but the guidance that has been given to us by the ICO is quite generic to direct marketing. Marketing it doesn't really say much about prospect research, so we're trying to read, read between the lines and work out what we need to do. Um, so lots of organizations have been reviewing their internal prospect research practices, updating their privacy statements. That's one clear thing we've got to do. We've got to update our privacy statements to make it clear that we're doing prospect research and what it means, what we're doing, people's data, how we, what, what, we, what, what data we're collecting on, that sort of thing. Um, and also, you know, we've been engaging a lot with senior management to get them on board, because they're the ones we're making the decisions for the organizations you work for. And then also um, carrying out a privacy impact assessment to better understand how um, our prospect research activities will impact on the individual donors and supporters. Um, and there's some guidance on how to do privacy impact assessment on the ICS website. Um, so yeah, it's quite a it's a it's quite an interesting time at the moment. There's lots of change happening, but we're getting there, as Nicola said, slowly. And hopefully we will, um, yeah, be okay by uh, May 2018. And you're also going to be talking about the, this summer at the APRA conference, aren't you? Yes, so I'm doing a session at the APRA conference on Thursday morning. Super, great. Um, so, uh, Nicola, you're a research director at a consulting company that provides wealth screenings to clients in the UK. What does all this mean for wealth screenings? Are they now illegal? Um, or what are the circumstances under which they're okay? <laughs> That's a good question. I think this is, this is one of the biggies that people sort of keep asking. Um, the first point to make is obviously wealth screenings are not illegal at all. Um, there is confusion about this because obviously the regulator fined 13 nonprofits for wealth screening. Um, and so it looks like they were fined because of the activity itself, but the fines, um, which are available, if anyone wants to look at them on the ICO website, um, were because non-profits had not told their donors and supporters that their data would be used in this way and hadn't given them any choice in the matter. So it was therefore deemed 
uh, well screening was deemed an unfair use of data. So that's what we were talking about earlier on, about being fair and open about, about how you use data. Um, another of the areas that, that charities were fined for in terms of wealth screening was because wealth screening seems to be an incompatible purpose for the use of data. So the regulator states that just because someone gives you their personal details to make a donation, that does not necessarily mean they're giving you permission to wealth screen them. Um, so what we need is to sort of have a robust rationale to support our decision around why we think we should be able to use donation data for wealth screening. Um, so, so no, screenings are not illegal, just nonprofits have to have a kind of robust rationale to underpin why they do them and what the potential impacts on donors might be, they need to analyze that and they need to be conducted in an open and transparent way. I mean, this is all actually really good news in lots of ways. It, it makes perfect sense to educate donors about processes such as well screening and research and due diligence and all the other things that we do. I mean, nonprofit fundraising has evolved obviously enormously over the last few decades and most donors aren't aware that nonprofits undertake these types of sophisticated activities and techniques to make the use of their funds more efficient and effective. So educating donors about not just what we do, but why we do it, um, you know, is a kind of great opportunity that, that we need to embrace. And I think it will lead to some really good conversations with, with donors. It's already leading to some great conversations with major donors when, you know, charities are talking to them about what their reasonable expectations around research might be. Um, so we're, we're slowly gathering an evidence base to support the fact that prospect research is not just necessary, but it's sort of expected. Um, and, and once all this kind of evidence gathering has taken place, we'll, we'll be in a much stronger position um, to, to, to have a really robust rationale about why we do this kind of stuff. Mm. Right. And advocacy is going to be really important as well, which brings me to my next question, actually, for Laura. Um, researchers and fundraising is the UK equivalent of APRA. And, and Laura, as I mentioned in the introduction, you're on the committee that serves as the risk board. Um, and on its policy committee and its data protection working group. And you're also on the APRA ethics and compliance committee. So you're seeing things from sort of both sides, if you will. Um, I'm interested to know what our two professional associations are doing in terms of advocacy on this and how members might be able to, how members in, of APRA might be able to help their UK research cousins if we can. Okay, uh, maybe I'll talk about the both um, organizations separately and then I'll talk about how we can help each other. Um, so RIF set up the RIF Data Protection Working Group last summer after the announcement, sorry, after the announcement of the, of the GDPR came out and the establishment of the fundraising regulator. And it's really a group of about 20 researchers, consultants, representative bodies looking at um, uh, how we can navigate GDPR, what this means for prospect research, and what we need to do um, going forward. Um, and we've published a few updates on the RIF website, and we continue talking. Um, we've also be, been talking quite a lot with the Institute of Fundraising, and they've got quite a good dialogue with the ICO and the fundraising regulator. So trying to work out and ultimately, we want to try and get some guidelines produced. Um, this is a bit taking a bit bit slower than expected um, because we're still waiting for the ICO to release um, further guidelines on certain aspects. Um, and then in terms of the APRA Ethics Compliance Committee, so I, I joined the committee earlier this year and mainly to update them on what was going on in the UK um, I and mean, keeping that up to date with developments. I know a lot of US, research, US researchers have UK 
donors and supporters. So I thought it was really important to have that link between the UK and US and update the APRA on what was going on in the UK. So, um, so yeah, at the moment I've just been updating the committee and I'm going to speak at the APRA conference in July. I'm sure there'll be lots of other collaboration in the future. Um, and so could, could I just add something in there? Is that all right? Yeah, well, yeah, that's fine. yeah. One of the one of the things that um, we're trying to do at Factory and with others is is I talked a little bit before about kind of gathering evidence to support the sort of to answer the question why is prospect research necessary, which is one of the questions that you kind of have to answer in the process of proving that it's within data protection regulations to undertake. Um, prospect research. So one of the things we're looking at is what evidence is there out there that proves that prospect research has a positive impact on fundraising. Um, and it's actually really quite hard to find evidence to back this up on a on a, a sort of grand empirical scale. Like you can't there's not a lot of studies out there. So it would be really helpful if anyone in the US who might be listening to this has kind of access to any of those sorts of reports or studies that, that have looked at the impact of prospect research on fundraising and if they do have anything like that, um, if they could email it to me, I'd be really grateful. Yeah, that would <laughs> be really great. Cheeky. <laughs> I think also I just encourage people to just talk to each other about, about the situation because I think, you know, this, no one has a complete set of answers yet. It's a very complex issue. No one knows what's right, what's wrong, what we need to do. But it's really important that we talk about the issue and work together mm -hmm. to try and figure out the answer. Well, yeah, it's, it's important. It, it, as you say, it's important for all of us to understand it. Um, but I've, I've, I suppose that one of the things that I'm interested to know is what do these implications do you think that um, the ICO ruling and GDPR might have for U.S. prospect researchers um, and nonprofits here, as you point out, some of us do have um, prospects that are based in the U.K. Are we, you know, quote unquote, safe because we hold their data off of U.K. soil? Um, and you know, as long as we abide by data protection guidelines such as Privacy Shield, which um, you may have heard of, used to be Safe Harbor, it's now Privacy Shield. Are we free to keep on carrying on as before, or must we comply with GDPR in some fashion because we are doing research on UK nationals? Do you know? I think this is really difficult to say. I mean, GDPR introduces a much wider geographical scope, and it regulates personal data of EU citizens stored anywhere in the world, so it will impact on um, if, if um, US organizations hold data on EU systems, it will impact you. Um, in terms of what um, GDPR and the Privacy Shield um, have been doing, it's quite difficult to say at the moment, but um, from what I read, the Privacy Shield is still waiting on confirmation from the EU, but it is likely that will be harder to transfer data from the EU to the US, and any US server storing EU um, personal data will have to follow stricter regulations, but that hasn't well, that hasn't come into practice into law yet, but um, I'm sure something will come out in the next few months or year around that. Thank you. Um, well, thank you both for for your time today. Is there any last thoughts that you've got that you want to to leave us with? Oh, well, not really. It's it's a really tricky situation, and it's so it's it's developing all the time, really. Even though the the data protection regulations have been around for such a long time, it's 
it's only really in the last sort of year or so that, that non-profits have started to get their heads around how it all works. So as Laura says, like those conversations are really important, and if anyone wants to follow up with either of us, we'd be totally happy, I'm sure Laura would be too. Um, if, you, if you wanted to follow up with us and chat to us, and obviously Laura will be at APRA as well if anyone's around, but, but we're totally happy to keep these conversations going kind of outside of the podcast as well if anyone's interested. Great. Well, thank you so much. If people have any questions, um, or if they do have questions, um, they can go to speakers at aprahome.org. That's speakers at aprahome.org. You can send any questions that you might have there, um, and APRA will be very happy to forward your questions along to us. So thank you very much for being here today. Thank you both, Nicole and Laura, so much, and thank you to APRA for hosting this podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast. To discover all that APRA has to offer, visit aprahome.org. For links to content featured in this episode, check out the show notes. If you like the show and want to help others find us, please subscribe to and rate us on iTunes. Until next time.